0: Hi, this is Seyedah Zaidi, and I'd love to welcome you to Conversations in Practical Theology. Me and my co-host, Eric Stoddard, will be discussing various different subjects in practical theology. In this uh, session, what we're going to do is we're going to be sharing with you who we are, how we met, and the real purpose of this podcast. So, Let me begin the conversation by telling you who I am and what my background is. Um, I'm a practical theology doctorate student at Glasgow University and um, part of the reason why I kind of got into looking at practical theology is because I wanted to explore the impact of faith on daily practices from an Islamic perspective. And my interest has mainly in the last few years been in psychology and coaching. Although I have a long history and a relationship with uh, Glasgow anyway, because I studied architecture up there many, many moons ago. And Eric and I met at one of the practical theology conferences that takes place every year within the UK. So, um, Eric, let me hand it over to you and you can just say a little bit about yourself.
1: Yes, thanks. Um, I teach practical theology uh, at the University of St. Andrews in Fife. Uh, I'm based in Edinburgh, however, uh, and I have a long involvement in the Christian tradition. Uh, I've been Presbyterian, I've been Baptist, and currently Anglo-Catholic, Scottish Episcopalian, and we'll unpack a little bit of what that means later on. Um, professionally, uh, I teach undergraduates, I teach postgraduates. Uh, my own PhD that I did about—it's oh, about 17 years ago now—was uh, a practical theology of hell, and uh, that might be an interesting conversation for us to have at some point, but not as a starter.
0: Yeah, that, that you've used lots of um, really big words in there, and I think one of the things that attracted me to, to kind of speaking to you was the journey that you've been on in terms of your, of your faith journey, because I think that's something that I can relate to. I mean... Um, Muslims these days come from so many different kind of cultural and ethnic backgrounds and, and religious backgrounds as well. And for me, I think the journey of being secure in where you are in your faith is one that take, it can take you an entire lifetime, But to find somebody who's so confident in who they are and able, is able to articulate it was good for me to see, and I think that's where I found the intellectual conversation quite interesting.
1: That's interesting. You, you, you found me to be confident in where I am in my faith. That's, uh, that, that really that surprises me, actually, because I try, although I'm very committed to a Christian perspective, I actually try to hang loose a bit um, because I know that I used to believe very strongly as a quite conservative fundamentalist Baptist Christian in things that I no longer believe in and I have those blind spots that I didn't have before, but I do have now, and that's why I've sort of moved on my journey. So I'm very conscious that, you know, in 5, 10, 20, if I live long enough, 30 years, there may be things today about my theological stance that I'm going to think, how on earth did I believe that? Hmm. So that's actually part of why I'm a practical theologian, because I think that, mixture of certainty and uncertainty and being open to question and revision is not just a profession that I'm involved in I get paid to do but it's actually about my journey and and who I am
0: yeah and I actually it's, it's interesting you say that because I think um, if I look back at my own journey, you know, it, you know, in the 1970s of London, my family was probably the only brown family within the primary school that I went to, and um, even then, I insisted on wearing a headscarf, and so I was kind of, you know, quite, I suppose, quite funky for the time, and quite unusual as well, and very confident in who I was but then when I went to secondary school I think because of the time we um, weren't really um, I suppose able to access a huge amount of knowledge or religious knowledge and to really understand um, some of the the practices that we were doing and so I took my headscarf off and it was many years later that I then kind of came back to my faith and I understood what faith meant for me in terms of genuine practice because you know i've never wanted to be somebody who prays for the sake of praying or does acts of worship for the sake of doing them you know i I think as a as a muslim one of the things that i'm taught and i i believe in 100 percent is that there is no compulsion in religion and so when you do an act of of worship or a, a practice that you believe is worship you do it for yourself and for God in whatever form you believe God is but it's making sure that you have that conscious awareness and I think that journey is something that I will always continue to be on because what I it's interesting just picking up what you've said about the confidence in faith I think today right now One can feel or I can feel confident in who I am and how I'm practicing. But as you say, as knowledge increases and by that, I don't mean just technical knowledge. I also mean like the experience of your of your worship and your practice as all of that expands. then I think you improve your relationship with God. And as a result of that, actually, you improve your relationship with yourself. And I think that that then just becomes this never-ending spiral where you just become or one becomes more confident in who they are and how they're able to express themselves. And certainly for me, in this interesting world that we live in, given especially given some of the travelling that I've done, I've become much more aware of how people perceive me. And you know, maybe ten, twenty years ago, I would allow that to affect me more whereas now it's just like this is who I am like it or lump it you know and perhaps that's something to do with just being a little bit older perhaps that's to do with with increased confidence because I now am am more knowledgeable about the things that I do and about what I represent you know and actually even just unpacking that is a is a whole other PhD (laughs)
1: Yeah, because I wondered when you you said there about becoming more confident in your faith, how does that help you to be a practical theologian? Because my perception of practical theology is about questioning and having an awful lot more question marks and engagement with multiple sources of understanding rather than just the dogmatic or theological tradition. How do you weigh up your confidence with a questioning that's intrinsic to practical theology.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a great question, and I think for for me, it's about um, it's have it's increased awareness. Actually, I think that the more aware I am of my relationship with God, the more questions I will have, and perhaps it's about accepting that, and then not challenging it. I mean, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday. And uh, she was saying about how much knowledge she has. And I think that in, in some ways, um, th- there is a saying somewhere that says that you, you could you can learn all of the um, kind of scholarly books of Islam, but you still won't have more knowledge than a drop in an ocean. And in some ways, the more aware I become of my practice and the more um, I study the, the experience and, and what practical theology means in terms of how I'm living and how other people of, of all religions live and experience their lives. Actually, we're going to end up with more questions, but we'll also end up with more knowledge. And that's not necessarily a problem if it, if what it does is it enables us to, to have more understanding of the other. And I think that for me, one of the, the big purposes these conversations and this podcast is to enable us to to have that dialogue and actually to raise more questions for other people because those seeds that get planted I think that's that's where the future of practical theology is for me it's Mm -hmm. not about just kind of staying stagnant and I think says somebody who's very new coming into this discipline and kind of viewing it as a intellectual hobby, one that I absolutely love and thrive in. And, um, you know, I mean, I could spend my whole time doing this, but I find that sometimes there is an element of it just being stagnant. And I think that we do need to have new thoughts and new ideas coming in. And I don't know how that's going to happen, but I would love to be part of that conversation that, that brings new life into it and enables us to to not not actually even just from an academic perspective but from a real life perspective how can we have better experiences with people of other faiths because if we look at what's happening in the world at the moment it's not healthy and it's not healthy because people are focusing on the differences rather than focusing on what we have in common and you know if you look at the abrahamic faiths for example there is so much in common we just we just talk about the differences and i'd rather speak to people from a kind of a human perspective
1: yeah because i think to go back to where we met at the british and irish association of practical theology conference be july 2017 yeah um, you're so obviously muslim with your 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 dress And in a conference that's been, I would suspect, maybe 98% Christian over 25 years, Um, maybe one or two Jewish folks, occasionally folks with Buddhist sensibilities. I'm not sure they've sort of kept a Christian and Buddhist perspective together. But I think you're the first Muslim person to be a practical theologian in the association and at the conference, and very visibly so. And I think what prompted me to try and have conversation is that I could hear othering going on amongst us in the conference. Mm. How are we going to handle having someone who's other than Christian in our conference? And I, that just raised so many alarm bells to me about how... Even to say, how are we viewing you, is exactly the thing I don't want to say, Yeah, because you are a practical theologian, I am a practical theologian, and how do we converse as practical theologians without practical theology or an association othering you as either exotic or different or whatever, and that I really want to try and explore that in our conversations. Does that make sense to you? Or...
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's funny you, you mentioned that because I, in some ways I have always been the other and I find if, if I reflect back on my life, maybe I've put myself in situations where I have been the other. I remember once when I was um, in, uh, in the Macintosh School in Glasgow, mm-hmm. doing my undergraduate degree, and uh, I had this realization sitting in the kind of uh, in the theatre where we were receiving a lecture that if I skipped class, the teacher would notice because I was the brown speck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought I better not skip class. <laughs> but I, it, it's a it's a kind of um, flippant comment, but that's mm. that's the reality of mm-hmm. life. And then even when I was working as a director in local government, you know, ironically, I was the only brown woman and muslim in many of the meetings but the first time that i would walk into the room amongst a bunch of european white guys they would first think that i was there to serve the tea and you know we hear this as a cliche so many times Mm -hmm. but actually winning the respect of all of the people around the room takes time and there is othering that goes on but i think that in sometimes it can be from both sides But I think um, for me, it was realizing that, yes, I am the other, acknowledging it and saying, well, rather than kind of seeing it as a negative thing, how do I then turn that around into being something that's quite positive and actually use it uh, in a way to influence but do it knowing that, that you know, what do they say? With um, something comes power. with You know, maybe with influence becomes power. I think it's a Batman saying something. But it's very, very powerful, you know, and you've got to um, use that responsibility in the correct way. And so me coming into the BIAP conference, and I think it's the second time that I've been, the first time maybe I was just a little bit naive, And I wasn't really that sure about what was happening around me. But this time, particularly because the subject was about diversity, I was just so surprised that, and we, you know, it was held in the outskirts of London and this conference did not represent
1: um,
0: the locality I, th- I think they, they made efforts to do that by bringing in local um, church groups from you know, Southwark, and um, they brought in some um, uh, people or representatives from the Salvation Army to speak about local projects that they're doing. Mm-hmm. But again, it was very Christian-focused, which isn't necessarily a problem given the history of where mm-hmm. practical theology has come from as a subject and um, within the academy but I think now is the time for a change and the change can be a very positive one for the study of practical theology and for the study of theology as a whole. And there will be a a time where, you know, people like me will have to pick up the mantle and just kind of like run with it and accept whatever happens. But, then again you know maybe in some ways i'm quite uh lucky to be in this position because this is important for me but it's not my entire career mm-hmm. and and it's funny that i'm saying that because in 10 years time it could become that and i'm open to it but right now because i'm seeing it as a study that i'm enjoying and not as a career perhaps it means that i won't be as strategic or allow others to use me as a pawn to make those moves if that makes sense because th- that happens in the real world you know
1: yeah and i think what you're saying about this this is reality there's a history for the traditional practical theology and neither of us want to ignore that and how how do we move on with that because you know, after the conference there was the doctoral summer school for the professional doctorate of practical theology and I was the sort of um, headline act for that and having talked to you and then discovering that there were a couple of Jewish students, uh, there was another Muslim student and there was a Buddhist student there I was internally trying to work out what pronouns can I use Yeah, because I had prepared in my head and in my text for my lectures that everyone in the audience was going to be Christian of some sort or other. And so the pronouns became the big thing, because I didn't want to say we when it, but that was going to other you and, the, and others who are not Christian in the group. But there were times when it would be ro- correct to say we, because I was talking as a practical theologian. Mm. So those little words, we, our, those became for me, one of the real focal points of drastically trying to re-edit my lecture as i'm giving it thinking what am i actually saying mm.
0: I but it's interesting you say that because i think for me when b- being in a space like that which is majority christian or majority different from my own um background let's say actually using the pronoun we doesn't matter because I know what you're trying to say you know and I think that when you when you say it with a place of care and authenticity it's fine if you say it from a place of aggression then it's slightly different do you see what I mean and yes. I think as, as as somebody in the audience you know how to interpret that and I think that comes from being and sharing an actual physical space with somebody so I never found any of the, uh, those pronouns offensive um, because they were always explained and there wasn't always a, a context that was given. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are, are you saying that the pronouns in that specific context don't actually matter or should, should I be still really taking care about the pronouns?
0: I think it's important but I think actually the intention is more important. Okay. So if in the because I think you said something right at the beginning before you spoke about how you you expressed that awareness of there being a more diverse group than you had expected and because you'd set the scene it was kind of it was okay because one could feel that there was a care in what you were saying and there was an awareness that there is a, a, div- a diverse group and that you were speaking about different faiths. I think that um, sometimes when we use the pronouns, we do them flippantly mm. and then it's received as if it's flippant as well. And that's where some of the tension comes in. Whereas, and, and maybe what I'm saying actually is about conversations as a whole, with any human being. You know, it's about your intention will be felt by the other person more than the words that you're using. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it's interesting that the conversation we're having just now online actually originated in face-to-face encounter. Yeah, I, I don't think we could have started this without that face-to-face encounter.
0: Yeah, absolutely. and And it's in... So when I work in a professional setting with my coaching clients, one of the things that I always try and do is actually have a kind of um, a physical meeting at the beginning, because when you do that, you develop a different rapport with somebody, you know? And so for example, my supervision at the moment, because my um, Helen um, Walton, my supervisor is based in Glasgow and I'm now in London. Actually it's impossible for us to meet regularly, but we have met. Which means that we have a relationship, and I think sometimes it's it's great having online. It's great being able to learn electronically, but there is always going to be a physical interaction that is missing unless you have met. And one um, one meeting, I think, is enough. You you can get. I'm a firm believer. I don't know. Um, what there is in in terms of uh, i suppose scholarly works about this from a faith perspective but i'm a firm believer in kind of like knowing what somebody is like in terms of their aura or their soul and just meeting them and just seeing because um a couple of times i've um met somebody and had a very strong or felt a very strong connection with them and then it takes me back to um uh, a hadith or a, a saying of uh, um, the prophet muhammad and um, peace and blessings upon him where he said that there were, it is possible that our souls may have just touched um before we came to this world and we don't know okay. you know yeah. so you know and and i love that idea of just have being able to bump into somebody somewhere you know in in another world before we are here and then you meet that person feel a connection and then that's it and you never see them again but you know that that few minutes of something has had an enormous amount of meaning to you and to that person and things like that you know that's the kind of stuff I think I'm, I find fascinating about practical theology, because this isn't something that may necessarily be written in a scholarly text. But as I explain it, mm-hmm. I know that there are, you, you know, you may relate to it. People in the listening will be able to relate to it on some level, but that experience will never be um, researched or, um, investigated outside of practical theology.
1: I think that's that's right because it it becomes so important to not just how we do practical theology, but or the or to put it another way, it's not just about the content of practical theology; it's about how we actually do it.
0: Absolutely. And
1: Levinas talks about the importance of the face, his whole philosophy of the face, and we're called out to think well of the other because we encounter their face. And that's maybe another way of saying something similar to you know, the souls possibly having bumped into each other before, mm. that the human face encounters, and we're called out from that encounter, and then we've got to decide what we're going to do with it. And I think practical theology helps us to work out, well, what are we going to do about it? at a very yeah. practical, experiential, engaging with the implications of that and the practices of mm. being face to face.
0: But it's, it's interesting because as you're saying this, I'm thinking, you know, what are the areas where practical theology is avoiding research? And I think right now, given the situation in the world, you know, I would expect... Um, us as practical theologians to be looking at at why are these issues taking place you know why is there so much tension between people of faith and no faith and then you know the major world faith groups as well why how have we allowed this to happen because you know, we have sufficient resources. We have the intelligence and the technical um, ability to be able to make sure that a lot of the the problems that now exist don't, but they still do. And if anything, there's fuel being poured on them all the time. And I would love practical theology to be part of the solution rather than just sitting on the sidelines. And I, I'm talking about myself as well, you know, so
1: yeah i entirely agree because because part of the roots of practical theology are in that learning cycle that is not dependent on any particular faith perspective and if we start with human encounter and experience and then use our different resources to reflect on it then come to our theological religious faith traditions and then try and synthesize that and come up with enhanced practice that's that's a gift to ourselves as a gift to other people and I'm never sure that practical theology has actually realized just what a wonderful gift that is to because it's been so focused on sort of pastoral individual encounters yeah colleagues have done fantastic stuff more widely but we've never really I don't think seriously grappled with questions of religious conflict whether within our faith traditions or between our faith traditions. Mm. And I think that learning cycle is well-placed to enable us to do that.
0: Mm. And, and, I mean, it's interesting because, I I mean, one of my masters is in uh, positive psychology. And positive psychology came, or the movement came about as a response to um, kind of psychology as a whole, in that normal psychology is just very... it focuses in on the negative and the idea is to take you from with I suppose experiencing mental health issues up to what could be called as normal right and, and I put that in inverted commas mm-hmm. and the idea of positive psychology is to take the normal average person whatever that might be and then to give them an enhanced thriving life experience right but Positive psychology itself has evolved. And so now there's positive psychology 2.0 that is looking at meaning of life. And it's, the idea is that it's, it's how do you make your life richer? And I would love to take that concept of uh, an academic study that is evolving and apply it to practical theology. So practical theology has existed for, you know, there's various debates, but it's, you know, 50 years plus maybe now is the time to start um, redefining it. And that was actually one of the the conversations that I explored with a number of people at BIAP and saying, well, how do we then have a Practical Theology 2.0 that is manageable and maybe it's something where the different kind of Abrahamic faiths are explored as opposed to um, a Practical Theology that is purely from a a christian tradition and then we bring in other faiths as well and i think that as the world of practical theology expands then there is no doubt that these issues of why is there conflict you know even you know how does does business relate to religion and all of these that will all come in because the um the experience of the uh, academics and the scholars within practical theology will be very different from, dare I say, the kind of white middle-class male tradition that practical theology has come from even though now it's it it is very different in that you know even within the christian faith there's a lot of denominations that are involved and it's very very diverse and i can see that and there's a lot of women that are involved and it's fantastic but we maybe now need to take it up to the next level And I I think the the challenge there actually isn't just from practical theology. It's also from people wanting to engage in. I've fallen into this by accident, you know, and I'm so happy that I did. But we need people to deliberately make a decision to become involved.
1: And I think our conversations as they unfold over these uh, podcasts, I would see what we're trying to do is to model that and just see where it goes. Uh, Because the sorts of topics we're going to talk about, maybe political awareness, practical theology, religious conversion, those types of things for later um, broadcasts. If we can model what that means and hear from others and maybe just get the ball rolling just a little bit faster.
0: Um, Yeah, absolutely. People are
1: already trying to do this, um, but maybe this can just be a little initiative to... push those discussions on on a bit
0: yeah absolutely and i think it's i think it's wonderful that that we've come together to do this because when we look at the kind of different ideas that we wanted to explore individually and together i think it you know there is a real space for this from a practical theology perspective but also from a kind of like wider um, world perspective you know we 're saying that we 're going to be looking at well being and um, issues of theology in the workplace, uh, leadership um, food you know we, we have uh, Christmas and coming up and winter we 're going to be looking at the the role of um, business and commercialization of religion as well um, social media um, uh, there 's so many different um, subjects that we want to cover as well human rights um, uh, feminism, um, what, there's peace and violence in society and you know I just find the things that we want to explore are going to be absolutely fascinating but also they require other people to engage with us in order for the conversation to be much richer and deeper and impactful so I'm hoping that's going to happen as well. So do I. Mm. Well, I'm very, very excited and um, I hope that this has given a a good little introduction and a flavour of the kind of conversations that we're going to be having in the future. if you would like to follow the podcast please do make sure that you subscribe and uh, we would love to hear from you about your thoughts on subjects that we should be covering on anything that we've said and if you are a practical theologian and you have a particular interest in these conversations do let us know as well so um, with that I'm going to say thank you so much for listening in and for watching and hopefully we will see you on another podcast very very soon so this is the Azadi saying goodbye
1: this is Eric Stoddart thanks for listening